Take your Bibles, head back to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, it is hard to believe I started a series in Hebrews on August the 14th, 2022. And here we are, August the 13th, 2023, restarting it. And I'm going to go all the way to the finish line. Probably won't make it before the holidays, so we'll pick it right back up. But I am going to finish the entire book. It is a beautiful book. It is a strong and at times very hard book to interpret, but it is absolutely essential in our day and time. I failed to mention something last Sunday that I need to highlight because God did something great through our after-school and summer ministry called Grace Place here. It's just taken off and exploded under uh, Blake and Miss Kelly and the leadership that they have, the students under them. They had some of the students share the gospel Friday week ago. And uh, after the counseling with students, do you know we had 14 kids pray to receive Christ on that Friday? Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. Amazing. Here's what I really love about that ministry. Some of them don't go here. Some of them have other churches. So they're going to get to celebrate baptism and growth in their church. Some of them do come here. We'll be celebrating baptisms and discipleship with them. But God is moving in that just like uh, Friday night and the, fr- and the Friday before through Sound of Freedom. God is moving in that. Thank you for being a part. It was a great turnout. We had uh, the theater. Then we filled up um, about a lot of this room um, Friday night and It just went really, really well. We got great local partners. If you want to know what can I do, reach out to Dr. Mislevick, missions at gracebc.org. I'd say Kevin.mislevick, but you won't get Mislevick right. So just missions at gracebc or call the office. Talk to Ted Francisco, um, our head of security, if you want to. He's very involved in our partnerships, but it was a great film. Let me also say a huge thank you to one of our newer families who was touched by this and actually paid the entire bill, $11,000, on that film to show it so you could watch it free. So thank you to the the, uh, family that did that. We really appreciate your generosity. It was very kind. Several of you helped to show it at the theater, and then they stepped up, and I'm I'm really touched by that. And I want you to know how much that means to be able to show that many people, probably, I don't know, all together, 1,300 or so, I don't know. But listen... um, God is moving. It's a great thing to see. There were 59 registered and then some extra folks came in upstairs. It's a great thing to see all this movement. And we're only one week into the new church year. This is just the second Sunday of this church year, our 23-24 church year. We, we align that with our school year here. And um, I really, I really want to dig back in here and do a, I want to try to do a good job refreshing your memory on where we've been. So Hebrews, we have our theme here as an anchor for the soul, an anchor for the soul. We get that from Hebrews 6.19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. How can hope enter anything? Well, hope is personified. Hope is Jesus who goes behind the veil that separates the holy place from the holy of holies. He actually, we see the veil torn from top to bottom when Jesus is on Calvary's cross because Jesus said there are no more barriers to get to God. I am the bridge. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am your anchor. I am your hope. I have entered God's presence for you. I have a hand on God and a hand on man. I am the way. I am the bridge for you. And so I want you to really see as we refresh our memories on where we've been, the whole point of Hebrews is that Jesus is better. He's superior 
He's so much greater than any system we could make up. In chapter 1, I preached two messages. They were questions. Who's the goat? That's Jesus. And what's up with angels? And we learned Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 together. In chapter 2, I ask another question. Who's at the helm? Who's driving the ship of your life? We learned Hebrews 2, 1. We've got to give more earnest heed to things we've heard lest we drift away. Now, we all have a tendency to drift, guys. Miss Cindy and I went out and rode Norris the other day. Rode about 75 miles on the jet ski, just having a little date time. And she was snuggled up to me, and then she drove, and I snuggled up to her. And we wanted to get out and swim a few times, just dip in. And you know what happens to that, that jet ski if you don't hold on to it? It drifts. And you know what happens if you don't hold on to Jesus? You drift. And more importantly, trust that he can hold on to you and he will hold on to you. But left of your own accord, you and I will drift. And so in chapter 3, I gave you a, a sermon from a song title, Don't Stop Believing. Now, I told you, don't hold on to that feeling, hold on to Jesus, but don't stop believing. And then chapter 4, we talked about entering God's rest. He is the one that can calm us and give us rest and peace. In the end of 4 into chapter 5, we talked about Jesus as our perfect high priest. And then in chapter 6, I preached two messages, professors or possessors. Do you just talk a good talk or do you really have Christ in your life? And then we ended with a message called endurance and encouragement. You've got to keep going. Do not quit, don't stop, don't give up. Now that was 12 sermons that got us through the first six chapters of Hebrews. And the second half of Hebrews, chapters 7 to 13, are super important, critical. Most of us know Hebrews 11 better than anything else, the hall of faith. But I really want us today to, I'm going to start a three-part series, and I'm calling it, Don't Settle for Less Than God's Best. I really fear that we have some folks settling. Really fear that, speaking of our faith, not, not like, oh, he's, she settled for him, or I don't mean relationally. Some of y'all maybe have done that too, but I'm talking about, I'm talking about with our faith. I think sometimes we settle for less than God's best. And this is tough. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If I were not preaching through the whole book and coming back to finish the book, I wouldn't even preach this chapter. It's too hard. It takes too many hours to try to understand and unpack this. And for some of you that have never heard this, you're going to be like, what is he talking about? I promise if you will try to stay with me to the end and you'll just listen carefully, I'm going to bring the cookies lower and lower and lower where I can reach them. And I think I'm going to give you something to hang your hat on. You're going to hear it at first and say, this stuff doesn't matter now. It's what we do with the Bible a lot of times. This stuff doesn't matter now. But like I'm teaching on Wednesday nights, I hope you'll join us at 6.30. We have a pancake uh, meal this Wednesday. And then I'm teaching in here at 6.30, digging deeper. And I'm just getting started. We've got to bridge the cultural, linguistic, and historical gap to understand the Bible. And the only way you're going to rightly apply the Bible is understand what did it mean then and there. What did it mean to these Jewish people that had become Christians, many of whom were starting to slide back toward Judaism because the Jews were not getting nearly as persecuted as the Christians. The Christians were starting to lose it, literally. Lose houses, lose businesses, lose lives. They were going to be the torches in Nero's garden. He would tar the Christians and light them up to have a flame in his garden. And so this is tough stuff. It's hard. But 
we're going to learn a verse. I'm typically, when I'm preaching books, it's been hard to do in Genesis because of the volume of text. But typically, we learn a verse together each chapter. So look at 719 with me. And I just want us to say it out loud. I'm going to explain it quickly, and then we're going to read the text. 719. You guys say it with me. Ready? For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Yeah, you see that bringing in of a better hope? That's hope personified. That's Jesus. But the law, even though it's important, think about God's law. Think about God's top ten, the Ten Commandments. We can't even keep the Ten Commandments. You say, Pastor, I can keep the Ten Commandments. Has anything ever been more important in your life than God? Sure it has. Well, that's the first one. Have you ever uh, maybe looked at a graven image? Yes, of course you have. Have you ever maybe uh, forgotten the Sabbath to keep it holy? Have you ever been disobedient or dishonorable to mom or dad? Have you ever told a lie, even a little tiny one? Have you ever taken anything that didn't belong to you? Have you ever looked at one with lust in your eye? Yes, 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 and yes. So the law made nothing perfect. The law is a schoolmaster, a teacher, a mirror. The law shows me I need more than the law. I need the grace of God. I need God to pay the price that I couldn't pay. But as I am reading chapter 7, I am shaking my head going, Lord, I don't know how in the world I'm going to preach anything that folks can understand out of this. This is so antiquated in a sense. And yet the more I studied it, the more I realized, no. Actually, once you understand what it said then and there, it's the perfect message for here and now. Because people are substituting good and better and missing God's best. And so I get inspiration from strange places. I'll just be honest with you. It can be a song. It can be something that happens. Like I said, us on the water the other day. At some point, I'm going to tell you about me and Ted's fiasco on the water yesterday. But I'm not going to get into it now. I'm saving that, Ted, for another day. A rainy day. (laughs) So I'm going to tell you about what we did yesterday. It was totally insane and I'm glad to be here and alive but I was drawn to one phrase over and over and over in my brain I kept hearing one phrase and it came from a show called Different Strokes do y'all anybody remember from 78 to 86 it was a sitcom and it was very successful it had the businessman Mr. Drummond he took in two kids from Harlem he was going to adopt Willis and Arnold and uh, they were fish out of water you remember Willis was played by Todd Bridges who later went cuckoo but Todd Bridges was the older brother and then the younger brother was really cute little Gary Coleman Arnold and they try to adjust to living a life of luxury and you know it's it's just a classic tale it's really a funny kind of sitcom but there was this this catchphrase that um, little Arnold used. Now, just to refresh your memory, if you've never seen it, this is the catchphrase. What you talking about? What you talking about? What you talking about? What you what you talking about, Willis? Yeah. So, y'all, anybody remember that? What you talking about, Willis? I'm reading the text, and I'm like, what you talking about, Lord? I can't get this. I do not understand. And sometimes the tendency is, at least my propensity is, when it's tough, I'll just go on. And you know what happens? You miss the diamond hidden deep down in the coal. You miss the nugget of brilliance that God is actually trying to say. And so, knowing I was going to preach the whole book, of course, I have no choice. I've got to dig deep. Even though I'm going, Lord, what what you talking about? I don't understand this. It's hard. But here's the beautiful thing. 
We've walked through a lot of Genesis, right? We've been all the way up to chapter 22. We've spent a lot of time in Genesis. Everything you see here pretty much refers back to Genesis and a little bit of Exodus. So, with that being said, don't leave after we read the text. Stay with me, stay tuned in. Stand, please, as we honor the reading of God's Word. I really need to do all the chapter at once. I cannot, so I'm going to do it in three weeks, and we get installment one today, 2 verse 10. And it starts with that shadowy figure we've discussed before, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Remember, Salem means peace, the earliest variant of the holy city Jerusalem. So Salem, Shalom, you hear the relationship of the words? And it says that this Melchizedek was without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God. Hmm, Okay. Remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are the sons of Levi who received the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people. Now, some of y'all want to hit the door. I am not preaching on tithing today, you heathen. Don't move, okay? That's not what this text is about. This, I promise you, preachers want to make this about tithing. It is not about tithing. That is beyond the scope. But he's making the argument, look that those in the priesthood had a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, their brethren, though they've come from the loins of Abraham. I'll unpack all of that. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them, that means Melchizedek, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, and this is really the key, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom is witness that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. I know what you're talking about. I got it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this text, even though at first glance it's, uh, it's a tough one. And we got to do some unpacking here and, and really get to our particularly Jewish history. But Lord, I do think that the message here, the core of what you are saying is just as critical and timely today as it would have been for those early Jewish Christians in danger of sliding back away from Christ into their religious rites and rituals. Let us see the power and importance of relationship, not just religion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you and be seated. Just a couple of points and subtruths today that I hope, I really hope will make sense when I'm finished. The person and priesthood of Melchizedek serve as foreshadowings of Jesus. The person and priesthood of Melchizedek. What we find in the Bible is this correlation between the priest Melchizedek and our Lord Jesus Christ. The writer here in chapter 7 is returning to a theme he had introduced over in Hebrews 5. If you say, wait a minute. I've heard of this Melchizedek, and I've heard of him even beyond Genesis. You're right. We talked about him. We talked about him in Genesis. We talked about him here. 
He only shows up a few times in Scripture. Specifically, Hebrews 5, 6 is actually quoting from Psalm 110, 4. And it introduces the idea of Jesus' priesthood having a pattern like Melchizedek. Now look at Genesis, I'm sorry, look at Hebrews 7, 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, he met Abraham returning from slaughter of the kings and blessed him. What is that? Well, that's a reference to this. Let's look at Genesis 14, okay? It's the only other Old Testament passage besides the Psalms that even reference Melchizedek. He, his name almost never appears, but he's important. It says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of the Most High God, first recorded priest in the Bible. First recorded one. Later, Aaron would, would lead the priesthood. And later we would find that's from the Levitical family because Aaron was part of the tribe of Levi, as was Moses and Miriam, brothers and sisters. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. But Melchizedek, first recorded priest, brings out bread and wine, priest of the Most High. He blessed Abram. He said, blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Do you all remember when Lot was um, kidnapped? I, I quickly flew over it in Genesis. But Abram takes some of his mighty men. He goes. They rescue him. They slaughter some of the kings. And they have this great victory. And then as he's coming back, Melchizedek meets him. You say, well, there's communion elements there. Yep, bread and wine. There's all these foreshadowings. But he comes and refreshes them and renews them. And so here's what Abraham does. Abram. Abram gives a tenth of all the spoil, the booty, the plunder from the war. And he gives it to Melchizedek. And what that means is the lesser, Abram, is giving to the greater Melchizedek because Melchizedek then blesses him. And you do that from greater to lesser. So Melchizedek the greater blesses Abraham. And this should all start to come together in your mind as I unpack why this is important. But Melchizedek is called the king of righteousness and the king of peace. And of course, Jesus, according to the Bible, is our righteousness. He makes us right with God. Jesus is our prince of peace. And there's something interesting here. The Bible says that Melchizedek is without father or mother, without genealogy, et cetera, et cetera. And most people read that and they say, well, that means he must be divine. Or maybe he's a Christophany, a pre-incarnate version, a vision of Christ. Not necessarily. I think the simpler reading of that, particularly if we were to read that in the original language, simply means those things are never recorded for us. The Bible does not tell us where he comes from or what happens to him. The Bible simply says that these things are not articulated, and so we cannot fully speculate. I would simply say that he was an exalted priest in the order of Christ and that we, we are seeing a, a foreshadowing. I don't think he was a heavenly being. I don't think this was a Christophany, though great scholars do, and I'm fine with that. Some say, no, 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 clearly Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate Christ. Well, then how do you get the comparisons later in the Bible that says Jesus was greater? Why do you use language like he was a man if he's actually Jesus? I, I, I don't think that holds water, but again, you, you could disagree with me and we would be fine with that. That's not salvific or anything. The point is, I, I wrote it like this, the silence of scripture about Melchizedek's genealogy, birth and death is a typology. It is a pre-New Testament symbol which resembles the eternal priesthood of Christ. And so I don't believe he was an angel. I don't believe he was Jesus in flesh. I believe he was a real person, a real priest. And he's the first priest mentioned in the Old Testament. Well, we know that that old priesthood system ended 
Um, and an entire new system, in other words, Melchizedek's priesthood system, ended. And an entire new system would develop under Abraham. And I was going to say this. I even typed it in my notes and then stopped and said, wrong, go back. Listen to this. I was going to tell you that Melchizedek was a prototype of Jesus, but that's not true. A prototype, proto means first, first type. That's not true. Melchizedek actually was not a prototype of Jesus because it wasn't that Jesus was made like Melchizedek, but when you actually look, Melchizedek was made like Jesus. That's what verse 3 says, guys. Look at that. Without father, mother, genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of Man. So the comparison is that Melchizedek is the lesser and that the Son of God is actually the greater. He was made like him. And the Greek word there used literally means to make a facsimile, to produce a model or a copy. So Melchizedek, see Jesus existed in eternity past with God the Father, God the Son, he is God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. At creation, before we know of time or space or matter, there is God. You said, how could God be before all that? That's what makes him God. It's one of those things. He's immutable. The same yesterday, today, and forever. So he has always been, and then in the course of time, made in his image according to his likeness, we find this early priest Melchizedek. But Jesus is greater Jesus is the first, and Melchizedek's made like him. I, I tried to explain this, and the only thing I could come up with was an image that I think will refresh some of your memory. So let's collectively see if you can determine quickly what movie did this come from. Yeah, somebody's really Johnny on the spot. Jaws. Everybody remember Jaws? Just two notes. Donna. Love it. Miss Cindy and I rewatched it the other night to prepare for this message. So uh, we really did come to the end scene, and I said, Well, that image is pretty accurate. What do you call an image like that? You film people? A what? Yeah, a storyboard. You would storyboard a film most of the time with sketches, almost, um, you know, just giving an idea, a visual. This is what it's going to look like. It's not in its finished form, but if you know Jaws at all, you will remember this coming up. It's sort of the penultimate scene to the final big finale of what he would do to deal with the animal. And so it's interesting that Melchizedek is not really a prototype, but Melchizedek in some ways is a storyboard. He doesn't fully reveal Christ, but he sort of shows us there is someone greater. Now look, the priesthood of Christ here in chapter 7, if I could read all the chapter, you would see this. The priesthood of Christ is infinitely preferable to anything Jewish Christians had known in their unconverted Judaism-only days. And so we don't get too bogged down and miss the forest for the trees. Let me remind you, the author of Hebrews' main goal is to remind Jewish Christians, don't go back. I know the persecution's real. I know it's hard. But listen to what happens in 2023. Christians, I know we get mocked. I know we get put down. I know we are now countercultural. That is cool. I am fine with that. Don't go back. Don't go away from God. Don't slide away from your faith. Man, when the, tu when the going gets tough, what's the phrase? The tough 
get going. Let's move forward for the glory of God and the propagation of the gospel. And here it is no different. Jesus is superior to the Judaic system. Much of the Judaic system was based on what we call the Aaronic priesthood or the Levitical priesthood still in place when Jesus walked this earth. And so our author is strongly asserting Jesus is not only superior to angels and Moses, but Aaron and the priesthood and even the very tribe of Levi from which he came. And so Jesus is greater. That's what you need to remember. The person and priesthood of Melchizedek serve as a foreshadow of Jesus. Now watch. Abraham, who we know is the father of the Jews, recognized the superiority of Melchizedek. So Abraham met face to face with his superior. Melchizedek blesses him in verse 7. We saw that back in Genesis in a way only a greater person can do. You don't get blessed from the lesser to the greater. You get blessed from the greater to the lesser. And Abraham's tithe is a part of thanking God. It is showing God. I'll be honest with y'all. I see our tithe. We count a pre-tax before we give, um, a tithe and then our offerings, what we give over that. For me and Miss Cindy, what we give of time, talent, and earthly treasure, I see that as a way to say, God, thank you. I don't feel like I'm buying for myself, buying my salvation. I don't feel like God needs my money. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God owns the hills. God owns it all. But as a matter of gratitude and because it is commanded in Scripture to be a sacrificial giver. Because some folks say, no, pastor, tithing into the New Testament. Well, sacrificial giving didn't. And that may be greater than a tithe. And so the point is, I do that because it's, a, it's you're greater. And I want to show you in a tangible way, I love you, and I want the mission to move forward. And I know by giving, the mission moves forward. So as I just told that class of folks up there, I'll never ask you to do what Miss Cindy and I wouldn't do. And so when we see him tithing, it's simply, and under the Jewish law, you'd give God a tenth of your crops, your herds, your flocks, and you brought them to the Levites. The Levites were the, politi- the um, priestly tribe. Okay, you brought them to the tabernacle, later you brought them to the temple. If the trip was too long to keep your grain or your animal, you would convert them for money. Jesus had to deal with that, by the way, in his day and time. But in giving Melchizedek tithes and in taking his blessing, Abraham confirmed the superiority of this man. But how does that relate to Aaron? And why does it say Aaron was in the loins of Abraham? (laughs) Well, let me explain it. I'm going to keep it as simple as I can. Jewish people believed very strongly in racial solidarity or ethnic solidarity. This is an example of that. And you have what we call seminal headship. And all that really means is this. I could be said to have had the lineage of a carpenter because my father's father, his name was Oscar Cleveland Lewis, O.C., my papa, he was a master carpenter, a brilliant builder, And so you could argue that with seminal headship or even federal headship, depending on how you understand those terms, I'll not unpack them today, but later. But you could say that in his, I was in Papaw's loins because I was in his seed, it came to my father, which came to me. And so in some ways I have the lineage of a master carpenter. Now that being said, you need to understand what's going on here. Paul would teach us in Romans and in 1 Corinthians that there is a headship of Adam through which we are all affected and infected by sin. Okay? 
That comes from our first parents. All of us are in Adam. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Does everybody know who your first father was? It's not Noah. It's not Noah's sons or their wives, although we could trace our lineage back. But every, that's why I don't understand prejudice. I don't understand hatred and racism and bigotry. I don't understand how you could hate your brother or your sister. Because if you go back far enough, our family tree roots always go back to Adam and Eve. Now, you cannot believe that, but you would be wrong. And your, your, your thinking would not align with the Bible. The Bible is clear. Adam and Eve started it all. And in Adam, in our manliness, and that doesn't mean man like gender. It means in our humanity, in Adam, in man, all die. Because of the headship of Adam. And we inherit this sin nature through our first father. And then in Christ, when he becomes the second Adam, when we trust him and we are grafted into his family, adopted as sons and daughters, then in Christ we are made alive. So watch what happens. Abram, renamed Abraham, has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. So Jacob has Abram as his grandfather. Jacob wrestles with God and is renamed Israel. Elohim, one who wrestles with God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know that. Jacob, Israel, has 12 sons. One of his sons is named Levi. The Levites, the people in that particular tribe, are very faithful to God, and God says, I'm going to set you apart. You will be a holy people to me. You will be the people that will serve as priests. Now listen, not all Levites were priests, but all priests were Levites. Okay, so the priests come from the tribe of Levi. Guess who's born out of the tribe of Levi? Three siblings. Those three siblings are named Miriam, Aaron, and Moses. Aaron becomes the first high priest of the full Jewish people. Now that the Jews are established, he becomes the first high priest. And so what is happening here is that there is this argument that the The Levites were actually paying tithes to Melchizedek because they were in the loins of Abraham. I know that's a little weird because we don't think about it that way. But they very much thought about it like, look, if Melchizedek is greater, and even our forefathers were paying tithes to this one who is greater, and Jesus is even greater than him, why in the world would we go back into that Judaic system of man-made laws and rituals and rites? Why would we do that? And so the greatness of this priesthood is summarized like this. Abraham gave Melchizedek tithes. Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Melchizedek had an eternal priesthood and was made like Jesus. And Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek through Abraham. And even though I say all of that, I know what your brain is doing right now. I know what your brain is doing. You're going, what you talking about, Bobby? Right? You're going, okay, wait a minute. The cookies are still too high. They're still too high for me, so let me explain it this way. You go to buy a new set of car tires. Often, car tires are categorized like this. Good, better, and best. You go to get medicine. It could be regular strength, 
extra strength or maximum strength, right? So you get this, okay, so this is this and this is that and this is that. Now remember, if you go to buy waffle fries at Chick-fil-A, I think the smalls as many fries as the large. So don't let them get you there, even though I love Jesus chicken. But the point is, there's this good, better, best understanding that we see around us, right? We see, do I want this in a regular or do I want extra or do I want maximum, right? Do I just want the silver or do I want the gold or do I want the platinum? Whatever it is, we understand the the nature of superlatives, right? You could graduate with honors, cum laude. You could graduate with greater honors, magna cum laude. You could graduate with greatest honors, summa cum laude. That would be like my wife, Miss Smarty Pants, valedictorian. So she's summa. So sometimes I will get to talking about something. I'll say, come on, summa, you know this. And so, you know, she's summa. Uh, she's very smart. Um, and so let me see if I can break it down in the simplest of all ways. Let's do an if then. If Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, is he? Yeah, of course he is. The Bible's very clear, including... Now, Abraham represents all of the Jewish people. He's the father of Judaism, so he represents all of the Jews. And Jesus is greater than Melchizedek, and he is in person and priesthood. We'll unpack that next week, as you'll see, Jesus is greater. And then Jesus must be greater than Judaism, including all the Judaic traditions, rites, and rituals. Now, I know what a lot of you are thinking... But I'm not a Jew. I wasn't a Jew. Nobody's ever come to me here at Grace and said, hey, I, I was a Jew and now I'm a Christian. I know I have Messianic Jewish friends or Christian Jewish friends, but probably very few of you come out of Judaism, if any of you. Maybe a few of you watching. But let me tell you the real point of the text now. That was what it meant then and there. Jesus is greater than Judaism. Here is what it means today. Jesus is also greater than Catholicism and Protestantism, and Baptist, and Methodist, and Presbyterian, and uh, Lutheran, and Episcopalian, and any other ism you could put in the blank, Jesus is greater than all of our religious systems. I meet people all the time that find out what I do, and they'll almost invariably, if they're apart from God, they'll say, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. A guy said it to me this week in a restaurant. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And I'll say, me too, I hate religion. And they go, what? You just said you're a Baptist preacher. Religion is often man's attempt to get to God. It is a system and a structure that we have made to try to get to God. That's no good. What I'm out for is a relationship with the God who made me through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know many of you have heard that. You've got to embrace relationship over man-made religion. Because you can come to church every single week. You can give a lot of money and a lot of time. You can do all the right things. And you can still be as far from God as east is from the west. You must embrace Jesus Christ. That is the point of this text. We must understand that Jesus is greater than the Baptist. And Jesus is greater than every other system. Now, I think that we Baptists have a pretty good understanding of Scripture and a pretty good take on most of our major doctrines. But listen, Baptists are not perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. You follow that? And so I really want us to understand the person and priesthood of Melchizedek is a foreshadow of Jesus. And Abraham, the father of Jesus, recognized the superiority of Jesus. So that reminds us that Jesus is greater. And why would you embrace something less 
than God's best. We're going to pick up on that next week and expand. As Jeff comes to join me, though, I'll never forget Junior Hill. Y'all remember uh, Southern Baptist Evangelist Junior Hill? He's been here. Uh, Junior was an incredible preacher. You'd be laughing hysterically one minute, crying like a baby the next minute. Just a great expositor, uh, keeping God's word simple for us simple folk like myself. I need it simple. He preached it simple. And in Jacksonville, 25 years ago, when I am just getting started in full-time ministry, 25 years ago, Junior Hill preached from Matthew 6. Now, I know that because I'm a note taker. I keep notes of sermons I've heard. And I kept notes on his Matthew 6 sermon. Y'all know Matthew 6, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Um, And he said this statement, don't take the better and miss God's best. And you know what I thought about there? Because we had already been married for um, several years, actually, at that point. And I thought about um, some of the BC girls in my life, uh, before Cindy girls. And I thought about, y'all know the Garth song, Sometimes I Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. I don't buy the theology behind that. I was thanking God for saying no to some of those girls. Sorry if any of you are watching, it is what it is. The reality is... um, I, I remember so many details about that night, November the 18th. I even know the date, babe. I asked her to go out to my fraternity formal, and she wore this black dress with little straps, and she kept dropping a shoulder and letting one fall, like, hey. I know she did that on purpose. She says she doesn't, but she did that on purpose. She had begged month after month for me to take her out from the choir, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll take you out. So something like that. So anyway, got to get on with the story. She said something that would just absolutely, we, we talked about this the other day, she just racked my world when she said, I said, what do you want to do? I knew she was smart, I knew she was brilliant, you could tell by talking to her, but I remember what she said when I said, what do you want to do? Um, and she said, I want to be a godly wife and mother. And I'm like, no, really, come on, come on. Never heard anything like that from the people I'd been hanging out with, Ever. And it so rocked me deeply, and I don't even know what I said in the moment, but I will tell you this, I very quickly began to learn in that relationship that for me, this was God's best. And that I needed to cut out even the good or possibly the better because this was God's best. And you know, sometimes people like to dabble in things and they like to try this to get more spiritual and they rub a rock and pet an owl and, you know, sit and go home or whatever they do. But I'm telling you, you can forget all that garbage because when you come to Jesus, you're going to find that is God's best for you. He is God's best. He in a relationship with him. Now, I want you to have a family of faith too. I want you to be a part of God's work here. I want, you to, I want you to be on mission with a family around you. But the reality is it's not religious stuff that makes you right with God. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ who is the best. Don't settle for less than God's best. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.